0: I'm especially happy uh, to talk with you all about a subject that I think uh, uh, is just now being admitted by so many people. Uh, I I remember when I was a young Christian here in the US, and uh, people just didn't talk about their doubts. If they did, they talked about it as something from the past. Um, But uh, I think now more and more people are, are saying, no, this is part of life and this is part of faith and my doubts won't hurt me as much as keeping my doubts a secret or being afraid to admit my doubts will hurt me or pretending that I don't have doubts will hurt me. And so um, uh, I'd like to uh, talk about faith, uh, faith after doubt. Good morning, friends. Welcome to The Well. My name is Ryan Gere. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill it out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us today. And today is the fifth week of Lent. Lent is a six-week season of preparation for Easter when we prepare ourselves to uh, join Jesus in His death and resurrection, at Easter all over again, and and this is the fifth week of our series, Faith After Doubt, and it's based on this book by Brian McLaren, Faith After Doubt, Why Your Beliefs Stop Working, and What to Do About It. And So we're reading through the book together as a church, the sermons coincide with the reading, and then every Wednesday we have an online connect group where you can discuss that reading, and it's already week five. That means that Easter is right around the corner on April 17th, and, and next week, April 10th, we're welcoming the author of the book, Brian McLaren, who's going to be our uh, online guest for an exclusive online interview with The Well. So I want to invite you back next week to see the author of the book, Brian McLaren. So today, uh, as we as we start week five here of, the, of the, the series, we're reminded of why we're reading this book in the first place. 65 million Americans have dropped out of active church attendance in about 2.7 million more are leaving every year. Now, maybe you can identify with why that's the case. Maybe you can identify with the reasons that people give for leaving church. Maybe they had questions that were unanswered. They realized they had some questions and doubts, and they weren't really allowed to say that out loud in their church environment. And and so they just kind of gave up on faith because there was nowhere for them to process. Maybe they were tired of the hypocrisy and the disappointment. Maybe uh, they've been turned off by this this weird fusion of religion and politics we've seen in the United States where you have people calling themselves Christians and they they seem to stand for things that have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. Maybe they or somebody they love is a member of the LGBTQ community and they have been ostracized, demonized by certain church communities. Maybe they're embarrassed by the anti-science or the anti-intellectual streams in American Christianity that we're seeing during a pandemic and, and during a, climate, a time of climate change and people seem to be anti-science and anti-mask. And, or maybe they've seen a connection between some types of Christianity and even white supremacy throughout the history of the United States, going back to before the Civil War and there are streams of Christianity that seem to perpetuate even this, even this idea of white supremacy. And so now we have this movement of white Christian nationalism, in the United States, and, and it's no wonder that so many people have dropped out of church. Maybe you're in a place in your spiritual journey where, where y- you have questioned, you've, you've been honest about your doubts, and, and, and maybe in your honest moments, you're not sure that you could even remain a Christian. You're not sure that you could call yourself a Christian anymore, that you want to be a part of this thing called Christianity. Maybe you're deconstructing. And you're wondering if, if there's something after this or if you should just chuck it and, and move on. And so in this book, Brian McLaren proposes this four-stage model of, of spiritual development. And that sounds kind of mechanical, but when you get into the book, actually it's, it's really practical and seems to, seems to put words to the experience that so many of us have. And, and so there are four stages of faith in the book. The first is simplicity. That's when everything's black and white. Everything's easy to believe and, and it kind of coincides with growing up. Like as a little child, you tell a child, don't, don't touch the hot stove. And, and they say, yes, I won't touch the hot stove. They just believe whatever they're told. Most kids, some kids, you know, their parents don't have it quite that Easy, but simplicity is everything's black and white. If the pastor tells you something, you believe it, you don't question it. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And then step two, or stage two, is complexity. These are folks that have, have developed past stage one. They, they can see some gray. Not everything in the world is, is black and white, but they haven't really asked fundamental questions yet about what they've been told. Well, that changes... And stage three perplexity, because perplexity is when folks get honest about the questions and doubts they have, and they begin to question. And then there are times when complexity or sorry, when perplexity can be such an emotional journey that we feel angry. You may feel lied to. You may feel betrayed. You may feel used by church communities or by some pastor or people who raised you, manipulated by people who raised you to have a certain faith and and maybe you just want to deconstruct and tear it all down and and you feel lonely and it's this crisis of faith where your whole life is upended you lose friends because once you once you say certain things out loud you you admit your questions you you might you might find yourself just like talking to other people like you're just staring at the wall like their faces just go blank and, and you've just committed apostasy because you dare to ask questions it can make thanksgiving dinners really awkward some of you are in that position in your life Right now, that's stage three perplexity. And of course, there are a lot of people who exit their faith in stage three. They just can't make sense of it. They just can't see anything beyond that in their spiritual development. And so they just say, I'm out. There are a lot of people who exit their faith at at stage three just because they don't know of anything better, or it just doesn't look attractive to them at that point. But in the book, Brian talks about stage four, which he calls harmony. And Brian's going to talk about Stage 4 Harmony next week. And then on Easter Sunday, we're actually going to come back and revisit Harmony as we talk about the Easter story. But but Harmony looks like this. Harmony looks like getting to a a place, a stage in your spiritual life where we're able to see life as a mysterious gift. Not everything's black and white. It's not even necessarily shades of gray. There are things in life that that don't really make sense and there are things we can hold in tension and there there's a mystery to life and then we recognize the the interdependence that we all have on each other we're all connected in some way humans and other animals and the rest of the creation we are a part of this planet we're a part of a solar system etc like we are all interconnected we're interdependent and stage four harmony we grow to see God as a loving presence, not just an authority figure, not just a, you know, a rule keeper, a judge in the sky, you know, the great smiter who is about to smiteth you, but we grow to see God as a loving presence. The core question we ask ourselves about the meaning of life in stage four harmony is what part can I play in the common good? How can I be a part of of this greater movement towards good that benefits everybody? People in Stage 4 Harmony see that mistakes are an inevitable part of growth. That everybody makes mistakes and, and we learn from our failures. People in Stage 4 Harmony see the good news is that everything belongs. Everything that's ever happened to me, everything that's going on in my life now, everything that will happen to me. Everything belongs. It can all be used for good. It doesn't mean God caused it. We don't we 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 throw out bad theology that everything everything was caused by God. God causes pain or or whatever it is and, and we just have to accept it and have this fatalistic worldview. We throw that out. What that means is whatever happens in our lives, we look for ways that good can be brought out of that. That all of life is connected. We see doubt as a necessary part of life. It's not something that we get rid of. And actually, doubt is a is a doorway, a portal from one stage to the other. Doubt helps us to question where we are currently and helps us to move on. And then and then finally, Brian writes that in harmony, faith is a humble, reverent openness to mystery that expresses itself in non-discriminatory love. Faith is openness to mystery and, and and what your faith looks like, it doesn't mean just believing a checklist of, th- of things on the, on the church's statement of faith on the website. Like, faith means loving people in a non-discriminatory way. And this doesn't just mean discrimination in the ways that we normally think of discrimination. It definitely means that. But it means more than that. It means that you come to realize that God loves everybody. God loves you, God loves me, and God loves everybody else. God causes, as Jesus said, God causes rain to fall on the evil and the good. And we can love people in different stages of faith. We can love people whose ideas we vehemently disagree with. I mean, this, this is hard. Over the past few years, think about everything that's happened in America and all the emotion that's welled up inside of us and things that we saw that were wrong, that we were right to feel righteous anger about. And then we speak up. We're never silent because silence just benefits the oppressor. Silence just perpetuates the status quo. So no, we're people who love goodness and we speak up for what's right and what's wrong. And at the same time, we refuse to hate the people who are perpetuating the injustice. We, we hate the injustice and we speak out against it, but we refuse to hate those other people. Why? Because we're all interconnected. And God loves everybody, and and we love everybody. It's faith expressing itself in love. And that's how Brian defines harmony from Galatians chapter 5 in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul traveled and started new churches in cities around the Roman Empire, and then he would write letters back to these places where he started these house churches, usually, where people were just meeting in people's homes and and learning about Jesus. And, And these are people who lived in Galatia, and so it's called Galatians and Paul writes the letter of, of Galatians back to them and, in, and he's talking about freedom in Christ not just falling back into religious legalism and being a rule follower and it's just all about a checklist and then that makes us good people and people who you know God is happy with and pleased with no Paul says that we can be free in Christ we don't have to be burdened by these these heavy religious weights that oppress people and and, and weigh people down and and Paul uh, says we're free in Christ, and then he writes in a, in a very short but powerful sentence, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Think about the simplicity and the power of that statement. Paul's like, if you want to live a good life and you want to be a Christian, you want to follow Jesus and you want to live a life that pleases God, and, and here, here's, here's how you do that. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If you want to follow Jesus, what, what, should, what should that look like? Faith expressing itself through love. How do I know I have faith? Because I have love. I'm loving other people. How do I know I'm a Christian? Because I love other people. How do I know I'm following Jesus? Because I love other people. You know, what, what do you believe? What, what, what do you, I believe in loving other people. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so that's, that's the bottom line definition that Brian gives to harmony. Harmony is faith expressing itself through love. And so today we're going to talk about faith and love. What, what does faith and love look like? How do you have faith and how do you express love? Even to people who are in different stages, even people who disagree with you and do things that we can't stand. How do we love them? So first of all, what is faith and what does it mean to have faith? Faith. And stage one, faith is just believing whatever somebody told you. So if that doesn't work, then what does it mean to have faith? So I've been, I've been getting my hair cut by the same guy for 10 years. His name's Tom, and he, he's a great guy. We've, we've become friends. Tom and his wife, um, they rescue dogs, and they don't have any children, and, and they care for these dogs. And, and just to give you an idea of the kind of people they are, they went to the animal shelter recently, and they found a dog... Who, who had a, a leg that had been so injured that, that she only had three legs that she could use, and they made sure that they adopted her. She was older and, and disabled, and they, they said, no, that's the dog we want to adopt. They're just compassionate, good people, and they, and they care for these dogs that they rescue. And we talk about spiritual things occasionally, and, and the last time he cut my hair, he said, so, you know, what is, what is faith to you? Like, what does it mean? To have faith, and we were kind of talking about you know people believing things that that lead them to do things that don't look anything like Jesus, and and because somebody told them to, you know, a pastor told them to, or a politician told them to. He's like, so w- what is faith to you? What does faith look like? And and so what I shared with him was at the well, we don't teach blind faith. What I mean by blind faith is just believing something with no evidence whatsoever, and, and against what your brain tells you, just checking your brain at the door and believing whatever some pastor tells you and and never questioning that. I said, we don't teach blind faith at the well. And if you think about it, the only places that blind faith is seen as a good thing are religion and maybe government propaganda. That's about it. Where you have people who are attempting to control you and, and they're authority figures and they just want you to do whatever they tell you to do. And blind faith is seen as a virtue in those kinds of religious environments or when people are spreading propaganda. That's the only time faith, blind faith, is seen as a virtue. I mean, think about it. God forbid if you were to discover, to discover a lump on your body and you were losing weight. For some of you, I'm sorry, this may be triggering. Maybe you have or a family member has. And I hope that never happens. But you, you find something and you're really concerned about it and you go to your doctor and your doctor takes a look at this lump and your weight loss and, and you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're showing a lot of symptoms of things that are really scary. And and your doctor says, ah, I've got a good feeling about it. Don't worry about it. And, and you're like, wait, doc, I, th- I thought I thought you were going to run some tests maybe. Like, could you maybe give me a blood test or maybe order an MRI and I can just kind of see, you know, I can rule this out and make sure it's not this. And And the doctor's like, ah, I just, you got to have faith you'd be finding a different doctor. Because blind faith, if he's not willing to look for evidence and, and actually find what's going on in your body by testing your body and, and, and looking for evidence, and he just has a good feeling about it, that's not a good doctor. That's, bl- that's blind faith. That's a doctor practicing with blind faith. That's not a good thing. And so we don't teach blind faith at the well. We, we talk about faith like this There are different kinds of believing, different kinds of knowing things. And if you're struggling right now, maybe you're in perplexity and and you know what you don't believe anymore. You're just tearing it down, deconstructing it. And you're, you're, you know, I don't believe that. You know that for sure. And you might be wondering, like, what else is there? How else is there a way for me to even have any faith, to be a person of faith? Well, at the well, we talk about faith like this. There are different ways of knowing something or believing something. So right now we're in March Madness. So I figured it would be appropriate to use a basketball. And, and so um, what I'm going to do is just toss this ball up in the air repeatedly. Yes, here I am tossing the ball up in the air. And let's observe some things. It appears to me that every time I toss this ball up into the air, it returns toward the earth. I toss the ball up in the air and it falls back into my hand. It returns toward the earth. Are we seeing the same thing? Do you agree with my observation? And and I've done this illustration live a few times in front of groups of people. And so I'll ask, okay, how many of you believe that if I toss this basketball up in the air a million more times... That every single time, it's going to fall back toward the earth. And always, like only half of the people raise their hands. And I'll be like, okay, half of you believe in gravity. Great, that's a, that's a good start. Some people are reluctant. Some people are like, well, there could be exceptions. know. Yeah. So here's what we're doing, of course. We're taking a look at the effects of gravity on a basketball. And I don't know about you, but I'm certain that if I did this a million more times... This basketball is going to continue to fall back toward the earth. Now, why am I so certain about that? If you believe in gravity, why are you so certain about that? Well, this is observable, isn't it? You can see the basketball with your eyes if you're watching this on video. I don't know, maybe you can hear the basketball hit my hand through my my mic so I can hear it. I can feel the basketball hit my hand, so at least three of the five senses are engaged here. I can observe this with my five senses. And then, what else about this? It's repeatable. I've tossed this ball up in the air now probably 50 times, and every single time, it just does the same thing. It returns back towards the earth. It's observable, it's repeatable, and we're able to test it and, and see the evidence of what is happening here. What do we call that? Well, we call that a science experiment. That we can, we can observe something with our five senses and, and we can test it and look for evidence and it's repeatable. And then we could form a theory having to do with gravity and then test that theory. And, 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 and so that's a science experiment. There's a, a speaker named Pete Rollins who says that we don't speak of God like we speak of gravity? Because you can, you can test this. you can test gravity with your five, sentence, five five senses. It's observable. It's repeatable. It's a science experiment, but we don't speak of God like we speak of gravity. I mean, how many of you with the same certainty that you feel about gravity would say that you have the virgin birth all figured out? Or what the afterlife is life like? How many of you would say those things with the same kind of certainty that you speak about gravity? Now, there are churches who tell their congregations that they should speak about God, or miracles, or the virgin birth, or the afterlife, or whatever else. They should speak about those things with the same level of certainty that they speak about gravity. But they're different things. We can't, you can't test God in a lab. You can't, you can't test uh, the virgin birth in, in, a, in a science experiment, at least not on Mary. There, there are so many things about our faith, claims that are made about our faith, that they're just different than gravity. We don't speak of God the way we speak of gravity. And so what does that mean for somebody who is trying to get to a place of harmony? Okay, faith isn't just stage one, believe whatever I'm told. It's not stage two, where I I see some gray, but I still don't really ask questions. In stage three, we kind of figure out what we don't believe, and we hope to get to a place where we can figure out what we do. Well, in stage four, maybe faith looks like this beliefs that cannot be tested, you hold on to loosely, you hold them with an open hand. And there are other beliefs about which you can be certain. There are different ways of believing or knowing something. You can hold ideas in tension when it comes to these things that we can't test in a lab. We can't run a science experiment. My friend Frank Schaefer wrote a book called Why I'm an Atheist Who Believes in God. It's a great title. The title perfectly encapsulates the book because... His point is in the book that an intelligent thinking person can, can hold ideas in tension and we don't have to resolve everything. We don't have to speak of every f- belief the same way that we speak of gravity. We don't have to pretend to be certain about things that human beings have no way of being certain about. There are different kinds of believing. And so he, he writes this in the book, These days I hold two ideas about God simultaneously. He, she, it exists, and he, she, or it doesn't exist. I don't see saw between opposites. I embrace them. Frank's making a profound point there that is frankly scary to some people who may be watching this. They're like, what? I believe in God and I don't believe in God. What are you talking about? Or, and he's not saying, that you know, one day he believes and the second day he doesn't believe. And he's just kind of going back and forth. I've been there in life. Maybe you are too. A lot of times we feel that way in perplexity. But what Frank is saying is, and he doesn't call it harmony, but it fits with Brian's definition of harmony, is that I can hold beliefs about metaphysical claims with an open hand. I don't have to pretend to be certain about things that humans can't be certain about. You know, I, can, I can test gravity. It's observable. It's repeatable. I can conduct a science experiment regarding gravity, but God's not like that. There are so many things in faith that aren't like that. And so what I do is I just hold them with an open hand and I can see tension. I acknowledge that you can make a case either way and I don't have to pretend to be certain about everything. That would be blind faith. Faith doesn't have to be blind faith and pretending to be certain. But there is a kind of faith where I can hold these beliefs loosely with an open hand. Now, let me ask you you, you, you may not speak of the virgin birth the same way you speak about gravity, but let me ask you this. How many of you are certain that human beings need love? I bet you are. How many of you are certain that prayer can help you personally to feel less anxiety and help to center you and get you to a place where you can focus more on goodness I think most of you would probably say, yeah, I'm certain of that. How many of you would say, I'm certain that the golden rule, doing doing to others as you would have them do unto you, treating other people the way you want to be treated, is a good way to live, and that makes the world better? How many of you are certain about that? I'm sure many of you would say, yeah, I'm certain about that. And you might be as certain about that as you are of gravity. So there are things in our faith where we are certain about those things because we can see the effects of loving people. We can test it. We can see evidence that, that human beings need love and that, that Jesus' is teaching it can help me to be a better person. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem to work that way for a lot of Christians who claim to follow Jesus. But we can see those things. We can see the evidence of those things and be certain about some things while we hold other things in our, in our faith with an open hand. And so harmony is faith expressing itself through love. And harmony means that I'm comfortable with mystery. I'm comfortable with tension. I don't have to pretend to be certain about things that I can't be certain about. And then it's faith expressing itself through love. And, and next week in Brian's interview and then on Easter, we're going to talk about what love means even more. But for today, to love people is to treat other people the way you want to be treated. It's, it's the golden rule. Including people. And this is the hard part. Including people who are in a different stage than you, including people who have different ideas than you, including people who say things and do things that we completely disagree with. This is why love is so hard. Real love is so hard. It's easy to love people when we agree with them. It's easy to love people who are just like us. When love is tested, it's when we we encounter somebody who's not like us and we decide, no, I want to live in stage four harmony, and I see the interconnectedness of all things, and God loves everybody, and I'm going to find what's lovable about that person. Once again, it does not mean that we are silent in the face of injustice or, or, or when family members tell racial jokes that we, we want nothing to do with, and we know that's tearing our world apart, it's tearing America apart. We want nothing to do with that. We call that out. We speak out against things that are wrong, and we speak out for what's right. And as we do that, we refuse to hate other people, including the people who hate us. We refuse to hate them back. Non-discriminatory love means I love everybody without discrimination. Why? Because that's the way I want to be. God loves everybody, and I want to live in stage four harmony with God, and I'm going to love everybody too. That's hard. There's some requirement of giving up control and trying to force people to be the way I want them to be. It means that seeing everything is connected, seeing people where they are and accepting them where they are as a person, not their ideas necessarily, but accepting them as a person where they are, even if they're in different stages. One of the the reasons that love is so important, especially in communities like The Well, is because there are people with different ideas. In a church like this, we have different backgrounds. There are people all along the spectrum of their spiritual lives, and there are a lot of us in perplexity, who are just trying to figure out what we believe and definitely figuring out what we don't believe. And, and for some of us, maybe you're watching this right now because you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I want to be a part of a church. And this is a a good way of kind of testing things out, which is completely fine. Other people, you just live in different areas, or you're immunocompromised, and and it's just not smart for you to be in crowds and. But there are a lot of us right now in the well who are in stage three perplexity. And why love and communities like the well are so important is we can help each other out. You don't have to go through that alone because I know in in perplexity especially, you can feel profoundly alone and you don't have to be alone. I shared a few weeks ago that I spent several years in perplexity. I mean, depending on how I define it, at least two years, up to like five or seven years and to some degree in perplexity it started right after i got married it was just that my marriage had nothing to do with it It was just the time in life where i was where i was starting to question things right around the time that my wife hannah and i got married and so like a month or two after we got married i was really starting to deconstruct my faith and i would tell my wife like yeah I'm, i'm just not sure what i believe anymore and eventually, like I'm not sure that I can be a pastor anymore, and that was my full-time job then. I mean, imagine my poor wife, like marrying this guy, you know, thinking he's like this solid Christian guy, and then all of a sudden she hears, you know, I'm not sure what I believe, or if I, even if I can remain, you know, remain a pastor. And I, I feel bad for her. I mean, it, it freaked her out at first, and since then she's gone through her own stages of faith development, and and uh, and we're we're largely on the same page about a lot of things, but then. I mean, it started right after I got married back in 2008. And then for a couple of years, at least, was so intense that I didn't know if I could even be a pastor. I had like an exit plan to get out of pastoral ministry. And then even after I decided, no, I can can remain a pastor. And we moved out here and we started a, a church called One Church in 2012. And we launched weekly services in 2013. A lot of my sermons, I mean, I was still... Kind of giving perplexity sermons and trying to suggest answers, but a lot of it I was tearing things down, and 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 I spent several years in perplexity. And th- there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a process that I needed to go through. There was grieving there. It's not just this intellectual thing. There was grief and 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 feeling anger about things that I'd been taught and that I no longer believed. And why did they teach me that? And And it was this process I needed to go through. And then after a few years, I got to a place where I started to kind of wonder, is there anything after this? Is there anything better than this? I wanted something better than this. I didn't want to just kind of chuck Jesus entirely. I I wanted something better. And I didn't have language like Brian's language of harmony, but there has to be something better. But there are folks who, who feel like they get stuck in perplexity. That they just don't know where to go. And, and a way of loving people and in a community like The Well is we can listen to people and in their own timing, not force them. Because non-discriminatory love doesn't force people to speed it up. Hey, can't, can't just get, get through this perplexity, deconstruction stage. It's going to speed it up a little bit. L- love doesn't do that. But we can love people and sit with people and let them know that, yeah, you don't have to get stuck here. There is something else. There are options for you. And so if you're a thinking, honest person, perplexity, it's a necessary stage. But one of the ways that we can express love and one, and one of the reasons communities like The Well is so important is we can help each other to navigate through these stages and not get stuck. One of the ways that we can do that, and here comes the shameless plug, is in the, the next sermon series that's starting April 24th. So the week after Easter, we're launching into a brand new sermon series called The Family Tree the denominations of Christianity. Now, obviously, we are living in a horribly divided world, a horribly divided country, and people who call themselves Christians in America are every bit as divided as the rest of the country, if not more. So, even though we speak out against injustice, we want nothing to do with that. We could benefit by understanding various branches of Christianity throughout the centuries and why things are the way they are and why some people believe the way they do. And there are some types of, some expressions of Christianity that lead more people toward different stages of faith and having different views and supporting different politics and that kind of thing. We could benefit by understanding each other. And this this is every bit as important, if not more important. It may be That the thing that helps you get unstuck or the thing that just helps you get to the next stage is discovering some view of spirituality that you didn't know before in some other expression of Christianity. As we learn about these different branches of Christianity over the centuries and and their thoughts and the way people have wrestled with their faith and spirituality, you might zero in on something. It's like, oh, wait a second, I, I never heard that before. And that like opens the door to a whole new way of you viewing your own faith and spirituality. Actually, in the book, on page 154, Brian talks about learning about Eastern Orthodoxy, which we're going to talk about in week two, and how freeing it was for him, because it's, just, it's a view of Christianity that is foreign to most of us in the United States. And it's so liberating, and it's, like, it's just like, a whole new world. It's just like, wow, I didn't know that existed For example, for people who struggle with the idea of of like hell as an eternal fiery torment, Eastern Orthodoxy has a completely different view of the afterlife. And so it could be that the next big step in your spiritual journey comes out of learning about these different branches of our faith and spirituality over the centuries. And so that's where we're headed. And April 24th, we're talking about Uh, Catholics, Catholicism, May 1st, Orthodox Christianity, May 8th, Lutherans and Presbyterians, May 15th, Anglicans and Methodists, May 22nd, Baptists, Anabaptists and Pentecostals, and then May 29th, non-denominational Christians, and we'll talk about just kind of a broad definition of of, of, how a lot of people are thinking now, and even people in churches like the well, the kind of spirituality and the kind of questions we're wrestling with, and so we're starting this brand new series, The Family Tree. The denominations of Christianity, April 24th. And it could be that something you pick up in that series really helps you to take the next step. So, harmony, Brian defines as faith expressing itself through love. And if you've viewed faith that you felt this pressure to pretend that you believe things you don't believe or that you just can't reconcile intellectually, we don't teach blind faith at the well, checking your brain at the door and just believing whatever the pastor says. No, faith can be something much, much richer and smarter than that. We don't speak of God like we speak of gravity. Things that we can test with our five senses, like tossing a basketball up in the air, yeah, we can be certain about those things. There are other parts of our faith where we just we hold them with an open hand, we hold them in tension, and we get comfortable with that mystery. And it's faith expressing itself in love that God loves everybody, so I want to love everybody. I want to love other people the way that I want to be loved. Harmony is faith expressing itself in love. I invite you to pray with me. God, thank you for this amazing book that Brian has written here, Faith After Doubt, and how it's spoken to so many people, regardless of the stage they're in, but especially people in my experiences, I've talked with people about it, people who are in perplexity and people who are wondering, is there anything past this? Is there anything that, that, I, can, that I can learn or is there something beyond this? I'm, I'm deconstructing. I'm trying to figure out, is there anything I can reconstruct? Is there anything worth holding on to? Should I chuck the whole thing? And, and I think the gift of this book is that Brian has given us you know, this language around harmony. That We don't have to have all the answers. And that's not just a way of copping out and going back to stage one or stage two where people are like, oh, well, just trust God with it and just pray about it more. No, it's not that kind of an answer. Stage four looks like holding ideas in tension, that there are some things that I can hold with an open hand. I don't have to pretend to be certain about things that human beings have no way of being certain about. So there are things about faith that I can hold with an open hand while I'm certain about other things that I can test and look for evidence to support. Like, people need love. And the golden rule is a good way to live. And that's what it means that faith can be expressed through love. How do we see faith? Through love. And that means loving people in different stages. It means loving people we disagree with. We speak out for what's right, but we refuse to hate people. We can love people. We can separate people from their ideas and from their actions, and we can love them no matter what, just as God does. That's harmony. There's a peace in that that we can't find in any other place that we can just be. And we're okay with that. God, we pray for that experience, especially those of us who feel stuck. Maybe it's in the next series we pick up some some nugget from a different branch of Christianity in the family tree. And maybe that helps us to get to harmony. Maybe it's just sitting with people and, and, and who love us and being able to talk and process things. And it may take years, and that's okay. But we thank You that there is something beyond it that we can get to a place of harmony. We thank You and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said...